Okay, Mr. Tom Moffat, how are you, my man? I'm good, Dean. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, mate. I'm well. And um, are you okay there? You, you got yeah, on my screen, there we go. Just you before got... we start, mate, I just want to just say thanks for inviting me, mate, to be a part of your podcast, mate. I I can't say that my story's story's going to be as enthralling as John Killick's or Russell Mansell's, but it's my life as I've lived it thus far. So we'll see how we go, eh? Well, mate, uh, you're right. It, it is your life, and. Um... Your, your your life is as important as their lives and my lives. We've uh, we, we, we've all got a story, and um, you've certainly got an interesting story going back to um, when when you were two years of age, um, Tom, and and the welfare got you, mate, and and, and you had to go into care. What yeah. what age was you, Tom, when you when you realised that? You, you was in care and, and you wasn't with your biological parents. Yeah, I was about five. I remember I was about five because I just I just started going to kindergarten. So that's the earliest memory that I can remember me adopted parents telling me because by that type stage I'd been adopted. So I can remember them telling me that they weren't me, me biological parents. So, yeah, I was around about the age of five. And, and and what can you remember about kindergarten, if you can remember anything? Mate, I'll tell you a funny story. I remember my first day as kindergarten because we were in the classroom, mate, playing, playing with plasticine. And uh, I uh, made a uh, plasticine dinosaur. And the kids sitting next to me, and actually this is rather curious because it's the first show of my violence coming out in me because the kid next to me, and I won't name his name because I don't, I don't want to, but he grabbed me dinosaur and screwed it up and I punched him in the face. And that was my first ever show of violence because the backstory to that is, is that I had, from about the age of five, I can remember that I that was when my father, I'll call him my father, he was my adopted father, started beating me. And yeah. so somewhere within the back of my mind, I must have just thought, well, this is how you deal with that sort of a scenario. So that was my first ever. But there, that's the one day I... And I couldn't tell you any more about it. I just remember that one day for that particular that particular incident. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And, um, and, and after, after kindergarten, Tommy... Um, what, where did you go from there? You you you're in Redfern or you're in those areas? No, well, I no, I, I I I originated from Redfern. That's where I was born, and that's where we lived. That's where we lived when I got taken. Um, we lived in uh, Redfern Street, sixty six Redfern Street, actually, directly across the road from the Great Redfern Oval. And uh, I'm told by my older siblings that. We used to actually stand on our front veranda and watch the likes of Sattler and Sims and McCarthy doing a bit of extra training on the field outside of Red Fern Oval. And they would every now and then run up and down past our house and that. And 
we used to stand there with kids that I don't have any memory of it, but they tell me that's what we used to do. So, yeah, so I was born there and that's where the welfare took us out the front of that house. On the particular day, we were actually over in the park, across the park playing. Yeah. And I was yeah. with three of my, I was with three of my older brothers and my younger brother, John, he was asleep in his cot in the bed, in, in our bed, in the bedroom. But we were over at the park and my older brother, Wayne, he said, oh, come on, we better go home for, for uh, lunch because it's getting lunch time. And as we crossed the road, that's my, my, my father, Dada, as we used to, as they used to call him, he'd come running out the front door and yelled out to us and just yelled, run. And, of course, Wayne being the oldest, he knew what that was all about because the welfare had been unfortunately involved with our family and my mother and my father for quite a lot of years so he knew so he took off and he ran up the side lane and ran up the back lane and as he told me years later when we met he hid in his little hidey hole and then when the case was clear he uh, he made it to our older sister's place who was living in Alice Street Redford uh, Alice Street Newtown at the time okay. and uh, he got there but then they grabbed me and the other two brothers and whisk us away and never saw me mother and father again or never saw me brothers and sisters until many years later. Do you know why, Tom, the, the welfare wanted you from your mum and dad? Yeah, well, what had happened was was that we were actually, the house where we were living, Redfern Street, was, um, as you would probably remember, um, Back in them days, they used to, they used to, the owners of those terrace houses, they used to rent the rooms out. Okay. Well, my, well, my grandma, Grandma Mimi, who was my dad's grandmother, it was my dad's mother, sorry, she was living in one of these rooms with her, her then husband. And my mum and dad had got evicted from where they were living because dad had had an accident and lost his job and he couldn't work and so couldn't pay the rent so dad just packed packed us up there was dad mum and five kids and packed us up and took us to mimi's well the owner of the house didn't like the fact that there was now you know eight people or whatever the count is living in this one little bedroom and so he complained to me grandma mimi and said they've got to go or I'm going to kick you out. So dad has said, all right, then. And apparently he did take us out and say the story goes, we slept in the back of a friend's Pantech truck or something for a few nights. And then dad had just said, no, nah, this is bullshit. This is not right. And so he took us back to grandma Mimi's and the landlord was the one that actually rang the welfare and said, I've got all these, this family and these kids living in this, thing and that's um what happened and so then yeah as i said because dad and mum had been look sorry my phone's going oh, yeah, right. but um because me mum and me dad had um been involved with the welfare um because they had other families before i yeah. came along and yeah. siblings come along so the put it this way the Moffats were very well known to the department of community services unfortunately for me and my, my siblings <laughs> and it was uh it, it it was pretty common knowledge that the welfare used to get involved 
in a lot of disputes back in the day uh, as far as people um, telling them about other people, kids not going to school. They, they, they were like, um, you know, they were like the enemy, the welfare. I can remember as a oh, kid. Yeah. Did this, did this, did I, yeah, I, I used to get threatened by him for, for not going to school, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the, if you don't go to school, the welfare is going to get you. So, yeah, that, yeah they, didn't have a, they didn't have a good reputation. So, yeah, so, okay, so you, you, you ended up... Ways, in, mate, unfortunately, they still don't, but nah, that's, uh, not, that, not a lot's changed. I mean, it's gotten better, but there, but there are still a lot of cases where, they, where they're quick to, to, to run in and grab the kids and yeah yeah most definitely so so you, you, you end up with with other people what, what was that like what, you know with, with the with the people that you that were looking after you well mate look me mum she was a well i'll refer to them as me as me mum and me dad um so that we don't get confused if i'm talking yeah. about me biological parents so i'll call me I'll call me Dad Mike and I'll call me Mum Carolyn. I'll call me adopted brother uh, Greg. And for those astute people watching this, there's a there's a joke in that which they might get. If you think about it, you you might get it. But um, me mum, lovely lady, I couldn't have asked for a better mother. Still is today. She's still alive. She's 90. She's 90 something and she lives with my adopted brother. We don't have much to do with one another, me and me brother, that is. Um, but she was a lovely lady. Me brother, me adopted brother, we got along, but we didn't have that brotherly connection that blood brothers would have. So, as I said, we played together, we got along, but we weren't, we were never close, still aren't to this day. In fact, if you were to ask him, he'd tell you he doesn't have a brother, which is sort of understandable. Sure. Me father... Well, the only thing I can say is he was a right bastard. Um, as I said, I can remember from the age of five, the beating started. And, you know, I, I have no doubts doing in my mind that I was a little shit of a kid and I was a little arsehole of a kid. But there's punishment and there's punishment. And his right. punishment, he used to belt me like he was in a barroom brawl or he was in a back street lane street fight. And I was only a little skinny run of a kid and he was like six foot tall and built like a brick shit house because he was a wharfie. So he was strong as, and you know, like, and he would just go off at, at the drop of a hat. But the funny part about that is, is, is that he treated Greg completely different. Interesting. I never once, I only ever once ever seen him hitting if you want to call it a hit, and we might get into that story later on if we've got time, but we he just treated us chalk and cheese and he would go off at the slightest little, and it was almost like, to me in my mind back in them days, it was almost like he was waiting for me to do something wrong mm. so that he could just end me. And just to give you an example, one day I was helping him, he was building a, an in an inbuilt wardrobe and he asked me to go down to the back shed and get a three inch nail well mate let me tell you I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between a three inch nail and a ten foot nail so I just took my best shot and grabbed the one that I thought was the three incher yeah. took it into him 
I knew as soon as I handed it to him that I'd made the wrong choice and I'd got the wrong nail because he used to always get this look in his eye and this look on his face. And I just remember thinking, here we go, I'm going to cop it here. And that's exactly what he did. He just looked at the nail, looked at me and said, is this a fucking three-inch nail? Threw it at me and then bang, it's on. And he's punching me all through the house. That's the bloke he was. And 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 that abuse, uh, you you think that contributed to you becoming hard, getting in trouble? Like Sydney is a tough place, you know. Like these areas that you mentioned, they weren't for the faint-hearted around those streets, you know. Irrespectively oh, of what happened, it was a tough environment. Oh, um, that's right. It, it it hardened you up, or like what what oh, what you most most definitely, mate. I mean, this is going to sound like a stupid thing to say because for as much as I hated what he'd done to me in some ways, now as I'm older, looking back at that time, I'm glad that he did what he did because what you just said, it toughened me up and hardened me up because when I ran away from home at the age of 13, I had to learn very, very quickly, as you would understand, mm. to be able to stand up and fight for myself. And one of the best things about that being on the streets and having been belted by my father was the fact that I would always look at other men and think, well, what the fuck are you going to do to me that my father hasn't already done? Go for your life. Give it your best shot, Jim. Yeah. Let's see what the result is. So in one way, I hate what he done to me. In another way, I'm sort of glad because it enabled me to be here talking to you today because yeah. otherwise we all, we all know what happened, you know, places like the cross and them players, you said, they were, they were mean streets. They weren't for the faint hearted. It was dog eat dog. It was a jungle. And if you couldn't handle yourself, sorry to say, but you're in a lot of strife. hundred uh, percent. So, so uh, when did you first get into trouble, Tom? Like how, how old was your mate? 13. As I said, I'd run away. I, 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 I got to the point where at the age of 13, I couldn't cop the beatings anymore. I was in such a, a depressed state. Um, I didn't know at the time that it was depression. I don't think that word was ever used back then. I just, I just always thought I was a, a sad little kid. Mm. But um, at 13, I just, I just exploded and but the backstory to me running away was was that I copped this particular beating this night for something that I didn't do. My brother done it, but he wouldn't own up to it. Um, and that night I got into a state of mind where I decided that I was going to kill my father and yeah. I actually attempted to stab him. Um, that didn't work because my mother woke up during the attempt. I, I had the knife above my head ready to plunge it into his chest and be it for the grace of God or whatever, me mother, me mother woke up and that stirred me father and then I shit myself and I ran out of the room and put the knife away and jumped back into bed as quick as I could. So, so that failed. Um, and so two weeks later, I thought, well, I can't fucking kill him, so I'll kill myself. So I uh, attempted to hang myself. Obviously, that didn't work. And then that was when I thought, well, I'm not trying that again. <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> And I don't mind, and I don't mean to make make light or joke of commit to suicide, but 
the, the way my neck was burning from the rape, mate, and well, the rape snapped. That's what happened when I jumped yeah. off the toilet seat. The rape snapped, and I must have knocked myself out because I woke up and I was still alive in the fucking back shed. So after that failed, I thought, well, I've had enough of this. And so that's when I said, fuck it. So I got up that Monday morning, pulled all my school books out of my bag, put a couple of clothes in, uh, grabbed me Swiss Army pocket knife and kissed me mother goodbye. She thought I was going to school. I got on the bus. I got off the bus about three stops later, then got off the bus, went into the city and went to the cross and when in the whilst in the cross, I met up with a bloke who was a bit older than me. He was about 18 and he took me under his wing and uh, he taught me how to be a pickpocket. Okay. And uh, uh, that's how I got my nickname, the Dodger, after yep. the artful Dodger from the movie Oliver. And uh, that's how I survived. For And I was on the streets that time for about four months. And that was my first. Um, connection with the police. I got I got nabbed, pinching a pinching a bloke's wallet, and uh, but I was lucky because I never got sent to a boys' home. I I uh, I don't even remember actually going to court, but to be quite honest with you, because they got the wallet back, obviously. Um, but I obviously must have gone to the children's court or whatever. But then I got sent back to my parents' place and had to go back go back there. And then I stuck that out till I was 16 and then I just said, no, I fucking had this and I walked out again. But I told them this time, I said, I'm, I'm leaving I'm, and I walked out and they never saw me again for many, many years. So and what, then, of year, course, what, what, hmm. what year was that, Tom? Oh, gee, bang on, mate, I'm not real good at maths. We're talking around about 73... 74, 75, and, the mid, the mid seventies. And 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 what was King's Cross like? Oh, well, the 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 thing about it for me is is that for me it was a whole new world because the upbringing that I had had up until then, I wasn't like the other kids. We weren't allowed to go out in the street and play football and cricket with the other kids. My my playground was my backyard or my front yard. If I couldn't find something to do. So you can imagine I was virtually a prisoner in my own home to an extent, mm. which probably explains why going to jail wasn't a big deal for me because I'd virtually been in jail. But going out into the wide world, and especially at that age, 13, it was just a whole new world. But there were so many things going on that I knew nothing about because I was so naive, mm. which you can understand being locked up. So, you know... And, and you quickly learnt, you could see who the seedy people were and you could always you could always pick a truant or for those who don't know what a truant is, as you spoke about before, someone who decided they'd rather walk the streets, walkers and turners, as yeah. opposed to go to school, as you yeah. well know. Yeah. Um, you know, you could always pick the ladies of the night. You could all, you, you, for some reason, you could, you could pick the criminals and, just the way that they acted and the way they talked. But, but look, I'm not going to lie, it was a scary place for a kid of 13 years old because I'd known no better. But as I said, the one thing that I had in my favour, as opposed to a lot of the other young kids of my age, was is that 
as I said, because I'd been getting flogged by my father, it didn't bother me. If someone wanted to have a go, well, as I said, let's have a go. I've got me, I've got me trust, trusty Swiss army knife here. We'll we'll see how you get on. Yeah. So, so it, it it was exciting, also, as you say, the the big lights, uh, you know, different world. Uh, different people, your perception started defining what was who was who, what was who, um, and, and and from there, so you, you went back home, and, and when was your first pinch? When did you end up in jail? How old was you? 18. Mate, I, 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 I honestly can say I was probably the luckiest young juvenile thief that ever lived. Because yeah. I never seen I never seen the inside of a boy's home. Yeah. But I consider myself to, and I don't want to, you know, ring my own belly, but I considered myself to be a pretty good crook. Yeah. Because I only ever got caught three times as a juvenile, and all three times I got sent back home. So I thought, well, I have been lucky because when you hear the stories of the other poor bastards that went to places like Tamworth and all them joints, I now realise how bloody lucky I am so um yeah me me first introduction to the big house mate I it was actually three days after me me uh, 18th birthday me and another bloke knocked off a car <laughs> as we <laughs> as we all did as you'd well know mate you know as well, I mean although I wasn't as I wasn't as smart as some I, I didn't go for Porsches or Mercedes or BMWs I just yeah. went for the old HRE HLs because they were easy to start. They still they still but, went all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could if you knew where you would go and you could outrun the coppers every yeah. now and again. I should shouldn't make light of it, but anyway. But yeah, so that was the first pinch. We knocked off a car. We were actually going to Queensland. We got pulled up, we got pulled up at Kempsey and he was younger than me, so yeah. when we went to court, he got a two-year good behaviour bond. I won't name him, and uh, I got I got twelve months. But the funny part about it is, is that when I was down in the police, I was waiting the front court. There were a few, there were a few knockabout blokes, and I could tell that you know they'd been they'd been in and out of the joint before. And I remember one of them. I can't to this day remember. I can see him, but I couldn't tell you his name if I if if he held a gun to me in. But I remember he said to me, he said, oh, what are you, what are you up for, mate? And I said, ah, oh, knocked off a car. He said, how many times you've been in strife? I said, oh, this is my first pinch, mate, really. I said, had a couple of juvenile things, but nothing major. He said, mate, you're fucking sweet. He said, you'll get a good behaviour, Bond, or you'll get a suspended sentence. I wish he'd have been fucking right because I didn't. <laughs> I, got, I got up there and the old judge said, well, you're 18. You've led that other bloke astray, bang, 12 months. I freaking near fell over. I thought, are you kidding me? <laughs> I went back down to the cell and I said, mate, I hate to tell you, but you're wrong. <laughs> uh, and, 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 straight so off you, the mate on jail, mate, then. So, so, so straight off, you didn't go by the bay or? No, because we got pinched in Kempsey. So I went from I went from the cells in Kempsey and they just took me straight to and as you would probably know, back then Maitland Jail was probably one off, if not the toughest jail at the time, because there was a lot of hardened crims in the in the joint at, at the time. And I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to sit here and lie, Dean, for as much as I knew that I could sort of handle myself, I was absolutely shitting myself, man, when I walked, when I got, and I can still remember the night, because for some reason, and it must have been because they had a lot of pickups, but I can still remember that night as if it was last night. It was, it was a stormy, rainy night, and the thunder and the lightning, it was like a scene out of a freaking... Dracula film. That's how I remembered it in my mind. Because uh, when we got into the back of the bus, and the uh, light would, the lightning would flash, and you and it had, and you'd see the tower, the tower there, and yeah, it was it, it put the shivers up. Me put it that way. <laughs> and can you remember what was going through your head? Um, oh yeah. That first, what was you thinking about the next day in there, or was you yeah. going to be okay? Was you thinking about could you be sexually assaulted in there? Could you be bashed, attacked? Uh... Yeah, most definitely. Well, as you know, mate, you're being out on the streets and, you know, being street smart and streetwise, you always heard the stories. You never quite knew if they were true or not. Yeah. But then when you when you met somebody who said, no, it happened, well, put it this way for the, for the, for the people watching, the stories were fucking true, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. sadly, in a lot yeah. of people's cases. But no, that first night, had it have not been for the fact, and I can honestly say this, had it have not been for the fact that there were two other blokes in the cell with me, I'd have hung myself with the bed sheet. Yeah. Oh, that's how scared I was. Yeah. And, it's a, and to me now it seems strange because, as I said, I was never afraid. There was only one man in my life I was ever afraid of, and that was my father. Any other person, it didn't bother me. I didn't care how big they were, how tough they were, how strong they were. Like I said, you're not going to do to me any worse than what my dad's doing. So what my dad's done to do it. So I was, I, 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 as you said, the thing that I was the most scared of was I can handle a beating and I can cop a beating, but the sexual part of it was the, the part that I was genuinely scared about. And, you know, when that, cell door open the next morning and they took us up to reception to get our to get our greens and give us our give us our number because as you know back in them days they didn't refer to you by name you were you were just a number um yeah I was dead set shitting myself and I got I got uh, put in sea wing and back in them days sea wing used to be for young offenders and first timers and at later on years later became the protection protection wing and that but back in them days it was for the young offenders and the short termers and that but when I got to see wing the funny part was as I said it was the longest walk from that reception to see wing that I can remember because like because everybody's looking at you and people are saying mm. things and you're thinking oh Christ dear yeah here we go. And I actually remember I walked past, I, I walk. I had to walk past B, uh, A wing to get around into, into C wing. And there was a transvestite sitting in the yard. And I'd seen them before, but I just happened to look. And, and, and she looked at me and in this deep voice said, I might look like a woman, but I fight like a man. And I thought to myself, well, love, I, and I thought to myself, love, I hate to tell you, but you don't look that much like a woman. But anyway, we'll deal with that if, if need be later on down the track. But I got in, 
I got into C wing and the, and the screw said to me, go and see the sweeper and he'll give you your, he'll give you your sugar and you, cause back in them days they used to give you sugar and um, they used to give you coffee and they even used to give you swire tobacco back back then. And yeah. uh, but the backstory to what I'm about to tell you is is that when I was living in the streets of the cross, I ended up getting involved with a little crew of back in them days we used to be known as Sharpies. You probably remember the yeah, Sharpies. Yeah, I remember them, yeah. Well, I, I ran around with a little crew of six Sharpies and two of the actually two of the, the blokes who were basically our, our leaders, they were brothers. They actually come from they actually come from your way, Belmain. So we had sort of parted company because I'd been pinched earlier on and, and those stories might be for another time. But um, yeah. when I knocked on the sweeper's door, as I said, I was shitting myself because, again, you heard all the stories and I didn't know if this bloke was going to grab me and look at me because I was a bit of a pretty boy back in them days. I've lost a bit of me looks these days. but You still, you still them- look all right. <laughs> Thanks for saying so, mate. But you have got... Oh, and you have got your glasses on too, so I must be doing. I must be doing all right. I was going to say, but I just realised you have got your glasses on. But anyway, when the door, but when, <laughs> but when the door opened, down and behold, who should be standing in the doorway but me mate Danny that I used to knock around with in the little crew. Yeah. So the moment, and he just he just looked at me and laughed and said, "Fancy fucking meeting you in here, Dodger." Yeah. And once. Once I seen him, all the fear just drained out of my body because I knew then, because he was relatively well known, he's going to introduce me to the people that need to be introduced to and he's going to, as you know, in jail when you've got people vouching for you, it goes a long way. 100%. You know, so people, you know, and just to give you an example, one of the first people he introduced me to was Darcy Dugan. Yeah. Now, Darcy took a liking to me, and I don't mean in that way. I mean he just, for whatever reason, he just took a liking to me and he took me under me wing. And I found out years later that Darcy was actually friends with my biological father. They okay. knew one another on the outside. But, of course, I didn't know that at the time, and Darcy didn't know because I wasn't in jail under me biological name by at that stage so yes so Darcy was one of the first people that I met and he took me under 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 his wing and so when you've got a bloke like Darcy vouching for you you know that went that went a long way and then you had later on you had blokes like Ray Denning and I mean even though these days poor old Ray's regarded as a dog but I'll always have fond memories of the blokes he did he did me a few good turns in jail so I can't, I, I refuse to say a bad word about him, but I understand why people do these days. But you had well, blokes like Denning, you had blokes like Jockey Smith, Tommy Domican at the time, yeah. um, Billy Monday, Arthur Loveday, you know. And when you've got them sort of people acknowledging that, you know, you're, you're an all right upstart fella, it goes a hell of a long way to making time in jail, uh, as you know yourself, mate. It made it a hell of a lot easier. Most definitely. And that's not to say that things didn't happen. I had a couple of incidences that took place where blokes tried to have their sexual favours taken out on me, but luckily I got out of it. But Yeah. 
The uh, I found over the years, being in jail and being outside of jail, I had a lot of fears in jail, but 99.9% .9 of my fears in jail never ever come true. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that doesn't take away from the fact that, that, it, that it is a scary environment. Um, but I, I can remember a few occasions where I, I was in a real, real bad situation a few times. And um, it, it could have went either way, you know. And, yeah. um, and I don't know what it was, Tom. Um, I, I call it for the grace of God these days because I, I do believe in a God that something used to come over me when I was in scary situations where yeah, I understand. I, yeah. I, I, I would actually surrender to it. Uh, yeah. and, and, and it was like, I knew I was potentially fucked. Yeah. So I'll just play the hand here because I, I, I can't do anything but play the hand. So if the hand goes to whatever, it's going to go on the table. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'll just have to. I'll just have to go that way, and whatever comes out of that, that what will be will be. But it, it never ever got that bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was in fights. Yeah. I got. I got bashed a few times. I beat a few. I won fights. I lost. I got attacked a few times here and there, but. I never got that maimed or, um, you know, physically. And, and I'm thinking of sexual abuse. Uh, I don't know what it was with me, but I never had that fear of that sexual abuse, but I seen a lot of it. Yeah, I, I seen yeah. a lot of young kids um, succumb to it. And, and, yeah. and I, I used to think, uh, well, you know, that's just shit that happens in jail. But now at 57, looking back at it, I can see these poor friggin' young fellas, you know, yeah, and, and they were really bloody scared, mate. You know, yeah, they, sure. and, and, and they got taken advantage of by these older people. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really bad environment. And, uh I can remember also when I was in rehab years later and, and I could never understand, Tom, uh, if people were scared in jail. Like, I, I couldn't comprehend yeah. fear. And yeah. um, I, I had a bloke say to me once um, in the rehab, he said, when I used to go to my cell, that's when it used to hit me. And I used to say, what, what used to hit you? And he used to say, I, 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 I used to cry and I'd go, you cried. He said, yeah. He said, Dean, didn't you used to hear other men crying? I said, no. Mm, but, yeah. but as years have gone on, I've spoken to a lot of people back in the day and they're telling me this stuff about what they're really feeling. I think I was so desensitised, Tom, from, yeah. an, from an early age, mate, that I couldn't even comprehend to feel fear. But, yeah, yeah. but mate, I, I cannot. Yeah, it's 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 phenomenal what we all go through in those environments. And um, I, I can remember one time where my, my I heard my co-accused was going to murder me. Yeah, 
right? He, he, he was a legend that I gave him up for the murder that I got pinched on. I didn't give him up. I said the wrong thing in a record of interview and I was 13. So be it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, I thought, okay, I'm going to die. And, yeah. And, and, and I went to the Bible top. Yeah, right yeah, and I'd never ever gone to the Bible in my life before. Yeah, <laughs> and I started looking up fear in the Bible. Oh, right on, yeah, and and I started reading it, and it said, "Have faith, trust. You know, don't be scared of anything. You're going to be okay." And as soon as I seen that, I closed it up. When I'll be sweet, and I didn't yeah. die. He did, and he come. He was there. Oh, all good, Dean. How are you? I said, good. "Yeah, I'm good," but. The other thing I wanted to hit on with fear in jail, I, I think it's I think it's sad, Tom. And I said this to John. I've said this to other people that have done jail, that the general public has got this perception of people that go to jail where, you know, they're intrigued by it and it's interesting. But little do they really know, Tom, about the stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. What goes on beyond the foot? Little do they know about so many people in those situations that you're talking about that are absolutely petrified in these environments. Now, when I talk about I wasn't petrified in there, I look back now and see I was, Tom. Yeah, but I couldn't but identify back then. Right? Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't see it back was. then. Yeah. And these people, general, some people in the community, you know, oh, jail and prison and it's interesting and criminals and this and that. But what a lot of people don't see is the stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, they don't see the brutality side of it. Like what it, what it really is to live it. Yeah. And like and, you and, said. And, and the effects it has on you, like the psychological oh, yeah. effects from it, I'm still dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. But see, th- like you said, mate, it's very true. What I relate to everything you said, and the thing was, was that fear. That oh. was what that was what they looked for. Once you showed them fear, they oh. they had you. That's oh, why. And unfortunately, right. as you said, I saw it too. I saw so many young blokes, and oh. I used to think to myself, "Why don't you just stand up to these bastards?" Yeah. Not everybody can. That's the problem, as you know, doing. Not everybody can. We're not all. We're not all born fighters, and you know. That's we're right. not all, and I used to say to a lot of blokes, you know, because I was one of them blokes. If I saw somebody standing over another bloke, I couldn't help myself. Oh, I had like to stick you. Your head in. straight Mate, up, pull your yeah. head in, leave him alone. That's if right. you want to fight, body fight, not fight, yeah. You know? Because and and nine times out of ten, I mean the odd bloke would back up, but nine times out of ten no. they just look at you and walk away, didn't yeah. want to know about it. And that's what I used to say to them. I used to say, "See, if you stand up to them, mate, they won't they won't bully you." And okay. and I and I was and I remember listening to your podcast with John when he talked about the when he talked about the chess game and the bloke hit him over the yeah. head with the thing. Now it's funny and then it's and and it's laugh and it's and, and we get a laugh out of it. But as John said, if he hadn't have then backed up, that bloke would have had him. That's right. All the time, and so that was the thing you you, you couldn't allow fear. But I also relate to what you said about the situation when you said about you know being calm, because that was one of the tactics that I used to use. Was I used to always calm the other person down, 
because yeah. I learned very early in life that if you're trying to deal with somebody that's agitated and aggravated, you're not going to get you're not going to get through to them. And if we've got time, this little story you were talking about, I had a situation where I was in this cell with two other blokes, and I got taken out of that cell and put into another cell. I found out some time later through my mate Denny that the bloke had set it up with the screws. So I was in this bloke's. I was in this bloke selling for the first couple of days and nights. He was making suggestions and gestures, and I knew what he was talking about. He wanted, he want, he wanted me, and yeah. uh, I just sort of ignored him and laughed it off and made jokeable comments about it. But then this one night, we got we got locked up and in the cell, and I was on the top bunk, and he had obviously just decided that enough was enough and he just straight out bluntly bluntly just said to me mate I'm having you a fucking night and that's it now get down off the fucking bunk or I'll fucking pull you off the bunk now at that point in time I went into street mode and I just thought okay first thing I've got to do is I've got to calm this bloke down because yeah. if I'm any chance of getting out of this he can't be angry so yeah. I lulled him to a full sense of security and I said Perfect. to him me I said, mate, there's no need for fucking violence. I said, you want to fuck me? I get it. You can yeah. fuck me. I said, yeah. There's one condition. I said, I got one condition. I said, I pull you off first because I'm not letting you come inside my ass. He was as happy as a pig in shit, mate. He thought all these Christmases had come at once. Yeah. So I jumped down. I jumped down off my top bunk and I sat on. I sat on his bunk on the side. I said, well, come on, let's get this done with. He pulled down his pants. I grabbed, I, I put my hand up under his balls and I fondled his balls. And then, mate, it was like I had him in a vice grip and I squeezed him that hard. Mate, he fucking hell. You, you ever heard a wolf owl? You yeah. ain't heard nothing. And I, mate, I wasn't letting go. And I had him in my hand and then I got this hand. And, I, and, mate, he was in all sorts. And I just kept squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And when I knew... I had him to the point where he was in so much pain that he couldn't do anything. I let him go and I leant back into the bed and I used my foot and I kicked him and because his pants were down around his knees and his ankles, well, he fell straight over. And then I just jumped on top of him and just basically punched the fuck right out of him. And then I went and kicked the fucking cell door as hard as I could, hoping he weren't going to get up. So I had to fight him again. And I said to the screw, either fucking he gets put out of this cell or I get put out of this cell because if you leave me in here, I'm going to kill the cunt. Or yeah. I shouldn't have said words. <laughs> You're all right. I'm going to kill him. Yeah. And the screw looked at me and the screw looked at him. He's... His freaking balls are as red as Rudolph's nose and he's got blood all over his face. And the screw said, get your gear, you're going back to your old cell. And I never had any more trouble because there again is another thing. As you know, the, the jail telegraph, the word got around the prison. I, the next day I had freaking blokes saying to me, good on you, young fella. That's the way, mate. Don't fucking let the bastards put it over you. And, and it was, and from that, Day four, I never ever had another problem again because they knew that I'm not going to succumb to it. And 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 that that attitude that you uh, developed to survive, uh, Tom. Like, did you have a problem with that survival mode in normality? Did you, when you come up against people that weren't going to take advantage of you or 
didn't want stuff from you or weren't gonna hurt you or did did you did you struggle with that kind of survival with normal people trusting people um able to get on with normal people who not in those environments and and live in that way um you know was you skeptical oh, with other people yeah yeah definitely mate never trusted anybody in my life that was my number one rule to you know trust no yeah. one yeah but that's the survival mate that's what what i was taught yeah. and a story for another day but but going back to when i was 13 on the streets i had a uh, i had an incident with a pedophile and uh you know but that night i learned that that was when i learned the first lesson trust nobody because i i just took i just took this bloke nothing nothing major happened i mean as i said it's a story for another day maybe but um that night that's when i learned i can't trust because i thought this bloke was just a friendly old man who was trying to help me out mm. and with my naivety so yeah i learned very quickly and so when i got as you say got back into some form of normality yeah i trusted and i still have issues with people but one of the things that i have learned and you and you're probably the same and i learned it from a very early age trust your gut if exactly. your gut tells you there's something about this person that's not right nine times out of ten your guts your guts right so i had that i was lucky i suppose in a sense that because i had that gut feeling and i knew that i could rely on my gut that i could tell if that person was trustworthy or if i could rely on that person so i probably didn't have that big of an issue with it because i was able to say yeah. to myself oh yeah he's all right i can yeah. i can can talk with him or i can uh, and and the, and the and the incident of that is is that when i as i said when i met the the, the older boy when i was 13 who was 18 that was the same night that the pedophile had his go at me and I had stupidly gone back to this bloke's house because he offered he offered me a fee. Mm. And as you know, when you're fucking on the streets and you're hungry, you're not knocking back a fee. If someone says, mate, come on, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a fee. And so I stupidly went back to his house. But after what happened, happened and I got out, that was when I ran into the 18-year-old to, to the, the, the Troy that I met who I'd seen around. And, but... The funny part of that was was that he said to me that night, well, he was squatting in a house at Woolloomooloo. And uh, he said to me, well, mate, you know, look, if you want, you can come and, because he asked me, oh, where you've been sleeping and that. And I said, oh, mate, wherever I can find a, a, a dry, warm spot. And he said, well, mate, if you want to come and, if you want to come and uh, stay in the squat that I'm squatting in, you're more than welcome to. And, I think that was the first time that my gut instinct kicked in because after what had just happened and I just followed a bloke to his house and he tried to molest me and now I'm going to go to this bloke's who I don't know from a bar or so, but my gut just told me this bloke's all right, he'll, he'll look after you. And I can honestly say that Troy treated me like I was his little brother. Oh, and uh, that's 
was the relationship. And, and I had it not been for him, things might have been very different for me back at that early stage when I was only 13, because he taught me the, the, the tricks of the trade. And as I said, he was the one that taught me to, the trade of pickpocket and that that helped me out back then say so, yeah but yeah trust issues I'm a lot better now than what I used to be um but there were still people that you know I sort of stand back from so so what what happened when you got out did you turn it did you did you go back to jail did you go back on the street running around with that guy uh Troy and and stuff, or, or, or did you, did, did, what happened? What happened after that? No, straight back on the streets, mate. And so yeah. that's the stupid, that's the stupidity of prison, isn't it? When you really yeah. think about it. When they arrested me that first time, they knew I was homeless. I told them. Yeah. I'm homeless. I'm living on the streets. I've been living on the streets. So, so I, when they so on the day they released me, where am I going? So you go, you go back to jail again? Yeah, yeah, I went back to the cross and just went straight back into the old. But, but of course, I got back into the little gang. And as you were talking about with 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 John, you know, and and you said it yourself that you found that the crimes went from here to yeah. here. Yeah. Because like yourself, I went, I went from, I went from a position of you know being a pickpocket, walking around with a Swiss Army knife in my pocket to carry in a gun. Mm. And yeah. I'm not going to get into too much of mm. what we what we allegedly did because yeah. up until now <laughs> there's been no knock on the door to say, yeah, you know, there's no fool under the collar and come with me if you please, sir. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let's just say it was alleged that we did certain things that required the use of a balaclava and a firearm, but yeah, sure. yeah. up to date, nothing's come of it. But yeah, so I progressed from there and then yeah, the crime. Yeah. But I became very I was a very violent person. So yeah. and I never looked for a fight and I never looked to start a fight. But if someone said something to me, my response would be, well, let's sort it out. The only yeah. way as you know how it used to be done in them days. Come on, get around the back lane and we'll sort it out. So the violence was, as I said, well, I'd only been out of getting back to your question. When they released me from the 12-month sentence that I did, I got out um, and I ran, I ran into a bloke in the park across from Eddie Avenue. What's that park called? I can never know the name of it. You Eddie know that, you know. You walk, you know where Eddie Avenue at Central Station there? Are you? I know Central. Yeah, you cross over Eddie Avenue where, and I can't think of the park, but anyway, I was heading down to Chinatown and he was coming up, but we'd had a bit of an incident prior. And uh, he. Oh, he I know saw the park me. you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. Think of the um, Tried to cross from Eddie from yeah, the I station. Know. I know it. When you cross over already. Yeah, Avenue. I know it. I, I don't know the name. The people yeah, I can there, never remember. People, people go there at lunchtime and have their lunch yeah, and that yeah. there. Yeah. But, we, but I was walking through there and this bloke that I knew and he seen me and he said to me, oh, good day, Dodger. I haven't seen you for a long time. And as I said, we'd had a bit of a back history. So I put my hand out and shook his hand and Ed butted him and punched the shit out of him. <laughs> and silly me, 
went back to where I always used to go, and you may or may not know this place, but across the road from Central, there used to be a, a, a shop, and it was called the, Oce the Oceanic Cafe, and it was run by a, an old lady, and it was run by a, a mother and a daughter. Right. They used they used to do a lot for the homeless. Some people used to call it the hole in the wall. We used to call it Mars because the because the old lady. Well, I used to go in there every Thursday night for fish and chips, and uh, me being stupid, I've just builded this bloke. And following Thursday night, I went in there for me regular fish and chips. Who should walk in? The coppers, because he told them that's where they could find me. So yeah. I was stupid to myself that occasion so I got I got an, I got another I got six months for that and got thrown back to back to Maitland but again that vicious circle the same thing they knew I'm home was they've picked me up off the streets they let me out where am I going to go straight back to the cross and the same thing so, same happened so what so so back then like what what was your thinking was it like this, did you think no better or this was going to be my life? Who cares? I'm in the neck, I'm back again. Like, could you see any way out of it? Did you have any point of reference to look beyond where you was or it was it was how it was? No, exactly, mate. It was how it was. I had no, you know, go, going back to jail was here we go again. Mm. Um, and I got the mentality that, oh, I'm off on a work on holiday because <laughs> I always used to make sure that I always used to make sure that I got a job in the prison. I couldn't stand sitting around the yard reading all day. So every prison I went to, and I went to nearly all of them, um, I, I always put my hand up and said, yeah, I'll take, even if it's scrubbing shit houses, I don't care. It gets me out of that fucking yard. It, yeah. it, the day so that's how I used to and like when I got out to Wimu Plains wasn't that wasn't that the oh. boy all and end all of going to jail that was a working holiday like the country club out there got the swimming pool I, I honestly <laughs> well actually funnily enough when I got out there the swimming pool had been done away with they 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 what's okay. his name it in and it was just a it was just a it was just an able but what uh, year did, what year it, did you what year did you get there? Oh, mate, now you're asking me to think back. That would have been, well, I was married then with kids, so that would have been um, the mid to late 80s probably. Yeah, I was so there. So even when I got married, even when I got married, that I still continued on with me, with me disruptive life, as I call it. But as I say, getting back to your original question, yeah, to me it was just, by the boy, this is it. I mean, I realise now how lucky I really was. I thought at the time I had a bastard and a shit of a life, but when you listen to stories like Russell Mansour's, you soon fucking realise how lucky I was, and I do to this day sometimes feel guilty that I even whinged and bitched about the life because I, I only said it to John just recently in a comment. I would happily get stuck up stood up beside that wall and get punched in the face every day of the week from now until the day I die as to have had to have gone through things like Paul Russell and 
I shouldn't call him poor Russell because he's coming at the other end, but blokes like that. And it wasn't just happening, as you, as we all know now, it wasn't just happening in these boys' aims and that. This was all going on in the in the very same orphanages that I and my brothers and my siblings had been in. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so these days, mate, I consider myself, I mean, as I said, back then in the time of the situation, I thought, what a shit of a life this is, you know, being flogged by me. But... Mate, I'm one of the lucky ones. Irrespectively, Tom, it does have some kind of psychological effect on you, mate. It's it's not oh, yeah. a nice it's not a nice way to live your life. And um, I, I know what you're saying. Living in you know fear and frigging what what you've been through. Like, yeah, you you are lucky, but we, we all we're we're all lucky too, mate. You know, like. We, we, you, you've had a second chance, and and you've done something with yourself too, you know. When, when did you turn it around? Like, what, what was it for you, Tom? Where you come to a point where you've gone, wait there, like, was was it was it luck of the draw? Did you end up with a job? <laughs> did did the cards fall in the right place, or or did you come to a point where you went, ah, nah, nah, I I, I can get out of here, I, I can yeah, break too. this. Two things. I did get to that point where I where I looked around. I can I can remember it quite well. It was Abu on prison. Gotcha. I had a visit from the wife that weekend. She came out and I could tell straight away, as soon as she sat down in front of me, hello, something I thought I was getting the dear John letter. She just looked at me and she said, Enough's a fuck enough. Yeah. This is your last time. Yep. She said, this is your last time. If you're going to keep going on with the, the life you're leading, don't bother coming home. That Monday morning, I can remember I got up because I don't know if you know the way that Abron is, but most of the people that go to Abron, they work out in the forestry. But I was lucky enough to be one of the, what they would call in the other jails, a sweeper. And I was the, I was the unit. I was the unit head, so so I got to stay in the unit and I had to do the cleaning and do all the cooking and through all the... Because you, you were in these units, so just like an eight-bedroom house, and so you shared them, you know. Yeah, Oh, mate, it was like being in a motel, really. You had lounge room, you, you know, proper kitchen facilities. Like yeah. they're given... They're given they're giving people like me who, who have stabbed people a freaking carving knife to fucking cut potatoes. And <laughs> I thought this can't be real, but, but that's where I was. And yeah. And I, and I remember I had a shave and I looked in the mirror and I, and I, and I can, and I honestly, I just looked in the mirror and I pointed like that at the mirror. And I said, you're the fucking reason that I'm in all this shit. Don't give me none of this shit about oh, the coppers are assholes and the judge a prick and me solicitor doesn't know his head from his fucking ass and you know the court system's fucked now i'm the one that's fucked you're the problem and from that day i've always said if you want to know where the problem comes from go and stand in front of the mirror it'll be looking back at you so that as i said that day i'm sitting out the front i've done all my work and i'm sitting sunning myself and i did it just went off in my head i remembered what the missus said and I just sat there and I looked around and I thought, and it was a beautiful sunny day. And out there at Aberon, if you've ever been out there, when it, when it's a hot day, it's a hot day. When it's a fucking cold day, it's a free. There's no in between. But it was one of them hot sunny days. And I'm just sitting there thinking, 
I could be down the fucking beach now, fucking having a swim. I could be with my wife and kids, yeah. having a picnic. Yeah. And I and I and I did, and I just looked around and I said, "No, nah, fuck it. This is this is my last time." But the funny part of that story is, this is that I went into my bedroom that night and uh, I wrote a letter to my wife and I said, "Look, I know that <laughs> I'm going to get emotional here, something." Nah, you're but, all right, uh, mate. All good. You're but, good. Uh, I, uh, I said, I, I wrote her the letter and I said, look, you know, I know I've been an arsehole of a husband and I haven't been much of a father, but I'm going to honestly do my best to, to turn my life around and change. But what I did was, you've you've probably heard the song Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak yeah. Tree. Yeah. I wrote her the letter and I wrote out the words to that song and I said, look, I'm getting released in, I only had about a month to go. I said, I'm getting released on this date. Luckily enough, a mate of mine was getting released on the same day. So he offered me a lift home because his brother was coming to pick him up. So I didn't have to get the train. So I said to her, I'm getting a lift home. When I when I drive up near the thing, if you if you still honestly want me to, to, to come home and, 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 and you want to see if we can sort it out tie a ribbon around the tree and uh, if I get there and there's no ribbon I'll just tell them to, to drive on and you you get on with your life and have a good life and you know I hope the kids grow up to be good kids and I'll go about my way well you wouldn't want to know well we were living in a block of units at the time so when I get up near the flats and I looks at the tree there's 20 something ribbons on the tree all the night all the neighbours, because she told the neighbours that I'm coming home. Oh, all the neighbours, mate, it was yeah. it was the best fucking sight, mate. I've oh, ever seen beautiful. in yeah. my life, and I honestly did believe that it was going to be me, me last time in jail. Unfortunately, it turned out not to be, but that was only because I got pinched for something that I didn't do. Yeah. Um, so technically. Aberon was my last lagging. Um, and it's the funniest thing, and you and you'll understand this, as will John and Russell and many others. When I used to leave jail, and I don't know what made me do it, I can't even say why and all the others used to do it, but I always used to look back because mm. the one thing the screws used to always do, see you next time, see you when you come back. Yeah. And I'd always say, yeah, right, no worries. And I'd always look back. But when I drove out of Aberon Jail, when I walked out, I never looked back. And I remember the screw actually said the same thing to me. He said, oh, I'll see you next time you get here. And I didn't even look at him. I just looked straight ahead and said, no, you fucking won't. And I got in the car and I never looked back. But as and I say, it should have been my last leg. And, but I got involved in an incident up in Newcastle and I got and I got um, accused of doing something that I didn't do. And so I had to spend a little bit of time in, in Maitland for about 12 months until I was able to get that sorted. But that was my last lag. And, and yeah, I, I, and I basically turned it all around from there. Not that I did much with my life or went on to achieve much, but at least I'm not robbing people anymore. Or I, think you're selling, I think you're selling yourself a bit short. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you, you, and what year was it, Tom? Oh, that would have been, oh, would have had to have been the mid 90s, late 90s, I okay, guess. Okay, so, 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 I you, guess. 
So, so the mid nineties, it's two thousand and twenty. It's not that long ago. So, how's no. your life? So, so tell us about your life today, and how's it been, mate? And and what's oh. happened for you? You've taken stock for yourself. You've admitted it. You've stepped up to the plate. You've gone. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. I'm good for it all. And as soon as you arrived, that things got better. Yeah, yeah, things got better, mate. It just things. Well, you know that's. That's the, as I said before, about looking in the mirror. Oh, the funny perfect. thing about it is, mate, a fucking miracle happened. Oh. You know, I hear all these people oh. all the time saying, oh, the coppers are following oh, me, oh, the bullshit. coppers are harassing me. You know what I mean? But the funny part is, Dean, ever since I stopped committing crime, I've never had to deal with a police officer. Exactly. I've never had to deal with a judge. I've never had to deal with a screw. So without being disrespectful to, to all these others, I don't, you know, bullshit. It is. You know, yeah, well, okay, we all got followed by the coppers, but if you're not doing nothing wrong, let them follow you. I couldn't give a rat's ass. If they want to follow me and waste their time following me, if you're not doing nothing wrong, then nothing's going to happen. And I say, and, and I say this, Tom, you're better off being in that framework irrespectively if you want to do the things that's going to put you vulnerable to the position you're going to end up into. You're better exactly. off going into it knowing what you're doing. That's a better position than the other. Oh, mate, for sure. But well, just mate, knowing that. Like me. Yeah, you'd yeah. be like me. You'd be like me, Dean. Yeah. I learned back then when oh, I was 13. Yeah. Rule yeah. number one, and I and this and that was actually Troy that taught me this. Rule number one: if you can't do the time, don't do the fucking crime. Now, I don't exactly. want to be disrespectful to people like John Killick and those sort of people and, and, to, and to Russell and all these sure. other crimes, but don't whinge to me about freaking going to jail. You committed the fucking crime. Exactly. Come on, let's get let's get realistic here. Yeah. I'm all for Kate and crimes and all doing all that. I'm all for it. But at the end of the day, instead of trying to educate them once they're in the fucking rotten joint, Let's educate them not to go in there in the first place. Exactly. Because if we exactly. didn't commit crimes, we wouldn't be. And that's the thing. The thing exactly. that amazes me is I hear all these people whinging about how the coppers are all seasoned and this and that and all the rest of it. But a miracle for me is that I've never had to deal with them ever again. The day I decided not to be a crook anymore, it all changed. Now, how the fuck does that work? Hey. <laughs> eh? Now, maybe some of you blokes out there that are watching this who think that it's still fun and still, you know, you're a hero because you've been to jail, yeah. try try changing and doing yeah. something else. Yeah. And guess what? You might find that the coppers are no longer following you or harassing you because they know you're not up to any good anymore. Exactly. Guess what? You'll never have to stand in front of a judge again. Guess what? You'll never have to take a direction off a fucking another screw again. So I'm saying this, fine. Educate them yep. while they're in there. But I say educate them before they get in there. And I've got this radical plan. And it's gonna raise a lot of eyebrows. But I, you know, and I and I, and I give John and, and Russell and, and yourself and all these people who advocate for making prisons and having education. John put a thing up this morning. I don't know if you've seen it. Did you see the post he put up this morning about um about educating in teachers going no. into the prison? And, no. and he said, it was five years ago, and he said, and his comment was, it was five years ago, nothing's happened. Now, here's my radical plan. I'm all for educating them while they're in prison, but 
here's my thing, and I know what I'm about to say is left field, and it's probably going to, John's probably going to near fall off his chair, and Russell's going to choke on his glass. <laughs> That'll be right. Day. That'll be sweet. But what would a prison be like if John Kelly, Russell Mansell, and Dean King were running it? Now, I know you're going to say, I don't want to be a fucking screw. I never said you're going to be a screw. It'd you're going to be prison. an educator. It'd be you're going to be prison. an educator. Yeah, it'd be good. Right? We don't even want to call it a prison. It's an educational exactly. facility, right? Exactly. But don't have, but don't have Jimmy Bloggs and 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 Harry Jones, who wouldn't know the first thing about being a criminal and being in jail. Get people like the John Killicks, the Russell Mansours, the Doing Kings. If you want to include me, the Tom Moffats, sure. And have us running the, the the educational facilities because we have. What those people in blue in them jails don't have, we have empathy because we've been there and done it. Yeah. It's a radical thing, I know, but if you think about it, it ain't that silly because jails would be a hell of a lot of people if the people, and I know, you probably wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to do it. Could I, could I lock another, could I lock a man inside a cell with a key and lock him mm. in there knowing that that's where he's going to be for the next eight hours or so probably not but who says that these facilities you have to lock the doors that's exactly right and and, and the thing that the, the way i've done it tom is I, I wrote that book and and in that book yeah. it talks it talks about exactly what you hit on and what you arrived at is the accountability as soon as i got that accountability it was all over done yeah. finished complete and I'm very fortunate. I got it at 26, so I was very blessed to to receive it at a very early age. And um, the power I found when I realised that I was accountable for all of it just took me to a whole new level. It yeah. it, it empowered me so much. It made, it gave me leverage to be anything that I wanted in life. I realised that how I'd lived prior to that realisation of that accountability that you're talking yeah. about, that I could become anything in life from that experience that I had experienced. Uh, struggle, overcoming things, risk-taking, phenomenal. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and, and on top of it, the accountability, not blaming people, taking stock of myself, you know, taking stock for everything that happened to me in my new life also. And, and that gave me so much power. And if, if only, as you say, be that people like us created a prison, other ways, you know, if only there was a system that we could, that we could find and we could implement and we could give young people about accountability if only we, we we could deliver something where it was effective where they would get a light bulb moment at the time you got it and at the time i got it unfortunately i don't think there's a system at, at this point in stage but you've got to be radical to find the system yeah definitely. it's a radical approach it will find it but but when you turn yourself around what happened to you, Tom? Did you get a job? Did did other things start fall into place? That accountability that you found in jail 
did you use that accountability in your life also from there on out? Yeah, well, I tried to, but I found it, mate, I found it very, it's not something that I'm proud of, but I found it very hard to hold down a job. Yeah, for sure, um, mate. It is so I, I, you know, I went from I went from I went from job to job, and I mean, again, you talk about education. It's all good to educate people, but there's got to be a follow-on from it. And just yeah. as an example, when I went to Emu Plains, I worked in the piggery. I learned everything there was about running a piggery. Now, when I got out, I was living in Campbelltown at the time, and there was a piggery down at Appen. And I went down and applied for a job there because I thought, hey, you know what? I've just been 12 months at Emu Plains working in the piggery there. I went in for an interview, sat down with the boss. Mate, I told him that I'd been working in a piggery for the past 12 months. He started asking me questions and I'm sure that he didn't think that I would know the answer to him. And I trotted him out like, like nothing, like I owned a pig farm me fucking self. And he was, and he was made, he, he, he was dumbfounded. He was stunned. I could see it in his face. And then, of course, he asked me the inevitable question, oh, where was the piggery that you worked at? Yeah. What am I going to say? I'm not, I'm not a dishonest person, mate. For I tell sure, it as mate. it is. Yeah. Mate, it was at Emu Plains Prison Farm. Yeah. Soon as I said it, I saw the change in his face, yeah. bang. Needless to say, I didn't get the job. Yeah. So, yeah, educate them. But there's got to be a follow-on. You've got if you're going sure. to educate them to do something, you're going sure. to educate them to be a mechanic. You've got to give them a, a job to go to when you get them out. Exactly. But I, I digress. I digress there, when I forgot the question. Yeah. No, no. Like oh, it, it, yeah, about changing. Yeah, mate. I, as I said, I found it very hard to to, to hold down a job, but I did. I did eventually get uh, through a friend. I got a. Uh, I got a job on the uh, Sydney City Council. There you go. Uh, and I started out as a labourer in the town hall. They were uh, re-doing uh, the town hall up, and so they put a little crew together, and we were, and I was with a crew of five, a labourer there. And then when that work ran out, I swapped over and became a garbo and a street sweeper okay. for the Sydney City Council, mate. And I loved that. I, I loved that job. But again, as I said, it just Things happened and, and I ended up giving that job away. But the streets were mate, I, I met so many because my run used to be up the cross and it used to take me down past the old Siebel townhouse. Oh, okay. And as you might remember, all the yeah. celeb, mate, I seen them all, mate. Rod Stewart, Elton John, freaking uh, Julian Lennon. That's an, that's another great story. But, um, you know, I used to see all these celebrities. I'd be sweeping and they'd be coming in and out. And I used to, oh, there's... And I, I, I absolutely loved that job. But, again, I made a lot of bad choices in my life, mate, you know. And I had that steady job. And then a mate of mine started his own rubbish re removal business. And he said, mate, why don't you come and work for me? And so I thought about it and I thought, oh yeah, well, you know, I I know, I know Billy and freaking why not? I'll I'll go and work with Billy. At least I haven't got these other assholes freaking pointing their fingers, telling me what I'm doing right and wrong. So I give up my job on the city council, went and worked for Billy. That lasted about two years. The business went down the Google on without a job again. Yeah. So I basically, mate, went through life, you know, um, job to job job to job but even as although there was one occasion when I did uh, 
plan on doing a hold up on the local pub here where <laughs> I where I live. And uh, but would no, well I I was there at the door, mate. I had the mar I had the mask on, I had the gun in hand, and I was gonna knock on the door, but I don't know if I should tell the story or not, but I'd been watching the joint, mate, and I learned everything there was to know about it. And I knew I knew the manager. I mean, I'm married now with the kids and that, and I and I put me past behind, but we would struggle and say much. And I couldn't, as I said, I couldn't hold down a job. And I thought, well, I know where I can get some money. And it yeah. was a long weekend this weekend. And back in them days, they didn't bank like they do today. Yeah. You know, they, they would hold on to their takings, as you would know. They would hold on to their takings for, for, for days before yeah. they trot up to the bank with bank bagging in. And if I'd have used my brains that particular time, I should have just done a snatch and grab. But I decided I was going to, I was, I was going to hold up the pub for the money because it had been a long weekend, and I knew there was going to be a shitload of money there, and I, and I knew the manager's routine to a T. And so, as I said, it was a, it was a, it was actually that very night reminded me of my first night in, in prison. It was a stormy, one of them real shit, stormy, rainy nights. But I thought, well, that's good because there'll be no fucking gigs around. There'll be no eyes about because they'll all be tucked up in bed or standing in front of their readers trying to keep warm. Yeah. So as I got up to the door and I was about to pound on the door to, to get the plate to open up and then, of course, you know the routine, the old gun sticks in the face and get inside. But I could hear voices coming from inside and I couldn't quite work out if there were two or three other people in, the, in there with him. Now, I'd gone there for one specific purpose and that was to hold him up and take his money. But I thought to myself, if I go ahead with this and there are two or three people there and you'll understand this situation, what am I going to do if one of them decides to be a hero and tries to tackle me or tries to take the gun off me? You've only got one choice, and that's to shoot them. Mm. You're not going to let them. You're not going to let them take you down. You're looking at, you know, you're looking at 10, 15 what years for armed robbery. And that was the only thing that stopped me from doing it because yeah. I don't have a problem. I'll run in with the gun and point it at your head and say, "Give me your fucking money." But I'm not going to shoot an innocent person because it's the one thing that I that I was always against. I'm not going to hurt an innocent, even when I was a thief and a pickpocket. If I couldn't pick your wallet out of your pocket, I'm not going to knock you over the head and roll you like a lot of the other assholes used to do. Mm. As you remember in the days, they used to call it rolling people. I could never yeah. bring myself to do that. I don't yeah. mind robbing money. I'll... I'll pinch your wallet every day of the week if I can get my hands on it. Yeah. But I'm not going to punch you, hit you, you know, shoot you to get it. Yeah. So yeah, that was the only reason why I didn't end up doing that, doing that robbery. And I had thought about going back and getting me mates who I, from the Sharpie gang that I used to run with and do it. And then I, I thought about the wife and the kids and what she'd said to me all those years. So yeah. I didn't end up doing it. And that, as I said, I've just gone from job to job. And the last about 10 years ago, the wife, she she took ill and got sick. And then three years ago, she had a stroke. And so I've been her carer now and I'm her. Okay. So I, things are, 
don't worry, mate. It's entered me mind a few a few times to to pull the old gunny up and because you know it's not so good living on a pension ah. times it. But hey, at the end of the day, I've got a roof over me head. I've got a loving wife. Yeah. I've got beautiful kids. I've got five beautiful grandkids. Money. I, I've come to realise this, mate. Money ain't everything in the world. It's you can, not. You can, you can have next to nothing but still be a rich man. That's right, and mate. I'm one of the richest in the world right now. That's good, mate. Well, friggin'. Well, when saying that, I wouldn't mind having your portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> I had that, to get that, that in, that, mate. Sorry. Are you all right? They, they, they all say that, but little do yeah, they know. Yeah, I know. I know. Little, little do they know that I've, 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 I've been broke about three times through it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, mate, it's, uh, it was good having a yarn with you, Tom. Yeah, brilliant, mate. Uh, yeah, uh, it was good. It was uh, good to hear your story. And, um, yeah, thanks for sharing it all, you know. No, but, mate, I appreciate it. Maybe we can have another one because there's a lot more because we, did, we didn't even get into the, to the fact that, I, that I've got me 28 brothers and sisters that I didn't I know. even know. That we but we'll do that another day. Hundred percent. That that's that's yeah. like that's like everyone. I, well, not everyone. I've only really started having a yarn to people, but uh, yeah, it's it's hard to get through everything. But um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, 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 but I think we've got through enough to um, yeah to sh to show you to show your genuineness and and your heart and 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 your struggle and now you've turned things around and your honesty and your integrity and all that. So. Um, no, mate, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, mate. I mean, it was good to have a yarn to you. As I said, I appreciate you inviting me on, mate. No, that's um, good. But yeah, mate, I'm, I live a very quiet and peaceful life these days, mate. Well, you deserve As I said, it. I, I, I'd still like to have your portfolio, but I'll put up with what I've got at the moment. <laughs> Yeah. You're going you, to have all the headaches that goes with it too, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no worries, buddy. I'll just, Champion, uh, mate. And I just want to say too, mate, before we go, that uh, this is a good thing that you're doing because, as you said, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't matter what the story is. Everybody's got a story to tell. And, and there's nothing. And there's nothing better than, than than hearing other people's stories and what they've gone through in life. And it doesn't and it doesn't have to be about having gone to jail and having no. done all these things. It can it can be just a normal everyday person's story, you know, because everyone's got that story to tell. That's exactly right. Keep it going, mate. And I look forward to seeing some of the other uh, podcasts that you're going to do in the future. All right, mate. Well, uh, good having the arm with you and take care, right? Eh? You too, Dean. Thanks very much, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Good night.